0: and we're off. Hello everyone. Thanks for listening to No Worries If Not. This is Aaron Tuning and Andrew Stanley, and we are here to talk to you about a situation ourselves.
1: We are the situation. We are the
0: situation. We're well, not the situation. Not Jim Tan Laundry from the Jersey Shore, but we are a <laughs> situation. Uh, so here's here's the deal, all right? If you're listening to this, this is episode 0. 0.5. <laughs> Half Half episode. What does that mean? I understand. It's a good question. Uh, So we released the teaser, little intro, which you might have listened to. And this, what you're about to listen to, potentially, was what we planned on being our first episode with Dr. Jerome, who is a genius. He He was the smartest
1: person I've ever talked to. He is a functional (laughs) neurologist. And then, turns out, also a ton of other really complicated, smart-sounding things. And then also a chiropractor. Yeah, Not that they're not smart, but there's some rumors.
0: Pretty much people go to him. He helps them figure out how their brain works, how their personality uh, affects all the other parts of their body. It's fascinating. And uh, Turns
1: out our brains are complicated. Who knew? A little complicated, very squishy.
0: And we took some personality tests, the Enneagram being one of them. He kind of ran his diagnostics, and we were like, hey, this is going to be funny. You know, he's going to talk about our strengths and weaknesses. We're going to have a good time. It's going to be good for everyone to get to know us as yeah. at the, on the
1: first episode. Um, that was the plan. Aaron and I became so mesmerized in his wisdom and <laughs> intelligence that we just kind of sat here and let him run. And it was so interesting and helpful to us. But if you don't care that much <laughs> about our inner workings it might not be uh the funniest uh, podcast but we really got a lot out of it and we think you'll enjoy it especially if you're into enneagram or personality tests it is a deep dive into that and then specifically into aaron and i because we took these tests dr jerome analyzed us and then he told us everything we did and didn't want to know about ourselves absolutely
0: and so is it good i think it's i think it's very good uh is it a good representation of what the podcast is going to be like moving forward? It's probably not, it's not. not the
1: silliest, but it is really, it's, it's, it's impressive. It is
0: impressive. And also during the episode, we we're thinking this is the first official episode. So I think I, I said that a lot. That's why I don't want to save this for later on down the road. We just need to release it. Cause I say it's the first one. So all that to be said, this was not, this was supposed to be very short. It's not, it's a good listen. I would listen to the beginning, listen to Dr. Jerome, you know, talk about what he does. If you're interested, keep listening if not no worries i'm trying not to say that but i say it all the time
1: he got he got into why we are the type of people that say that and why this is an appropriate name for the podcast because of the way we are wired
0: yep So, so dr jerome thank you so much for your time um you absolutely mesmerized us and listeners listen if you want to um i'm no yep. worries if not is literally on my tongue every yeah. single time.
1: Yeah, no, please enjoy this interview with Dr. Drum. It's uh, it's wild. Thanks for listening. If you've got the time, you should
2: take a listen. But if you don't,
0: Dr. Jerome, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today?
2: Man, I am I am so good.
0: Just, just so good?
2: Yeah, man. I mean, it's a complicated answer, right? Um, so much of my life is going really, really well, and some things are very difficult, but I feel like things are balanced enough that I'm on the positive side of that equation.
1: There we go. That is, that is a great answer. That's I usually just say that answer. I'm good without even checking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> What is that? You check. You're just like, am I good?
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, I always joke with folks. I'm like, well, how much time do you have and how honest do you want me to be? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm actually not going to answer the question if you can't be present with me long enough to, to take the honest answer. Yeah. You know? <laughs> wow. I am
0: intimidated about uh, this conversation. This is <laughs> going to be uh, our audience. <laughs> uh, so we, I, we got a lot to get into. Yeah, uh, but first of all, you. You're a doctor in What?
2: So I have a couple of different degrees. Um, A doctorate is in chiropractic, um, but then I'm board certified in functional neurology, physical therapy, uh, and also board eligible in childhood neurological developmental disorders, vestibular rehabilitation, movement disorders, concussion, traumatic brain injury, and neurochemistry.
1: Cool. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of we have vast understanding of all those areas, but we're probably going to focus on a few of them today. Yeah. Uh, did you say chiropractic at the beginning?
2: Yeah, man. So there's uh, the 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 world I live in in functional neurology was created out of a space between traditional neurology and kind of traditional chiropractic. That neurologists are incredible at triage and damage control. Uh, they don't necessarily do holistic or wellness care, and then chiropractors are really good at wellness care, but they don't deal with complex cases. So it was built as a bridge between those places. So I specialize in complex, unresolved cases, but without drugs
0: or surgery. What could you fix about me right now? All of that put together. Like you could help my backbones. Sure. You could tell me how my brain works. Like what all physically could you do to me right now?
2: Yeah, so the, the biggest thing is also understanding that like traditional chiropractic is an adjustment. They normally are working on just bones. My sessions with my patients are an hour long. So if I'm doing an adjustment on somebody, that may be less than three minutes of an hour session. So some of it is doing what's called vestibular rehab, where it's balance, or it's sensory remapping, where we're helping with sensitivity to touch. So a classic example that I give is most people don't realize that when they're dealing with pretty high-grade anxiety, it also is tied into the exact same system that deals with sensitivity to touch. So people who are anxious also happen to be ticklish. Well, the (laughs) same exact pathway for ticklishness is the exact same pathway for pain, it's not a different road. It's the exact same road for light touch and pain is processed on the same highway. So if I help somebody to decrease their sensitivity to touch, decrease their ticklishness, decrease their sensitivity to pain, it also has a likelihood of decreasing their sensitivity to anxiety. So it's a backdoor way to process sensation because that's what actually builds our capacity to think and feel anyways. Because I have a nine-month-old right now. My nine-month-old can't tell me, hey, bro, super anxious about breakfast, didn't get enough to eat, could love an extra bite. He doesn't know how to do that. He's nine months old. So the system that allows him to develop anticipation or fear is built in his touch system first. So when we're adults, nobody realizes, hey, hey, man, you're dealing with a lot of anxiety. You go to really good talk therapy. You've had really good quality medication But nobody realizes that 95% of what we're processing on a daily basis is subconscious. So your anxiety may not be on a cognitive level. It may be built into the way that your body actually is anticipating touch for a number of reasons, right? So when I work with somebody, I'm not only taking into consideration the biomechanics from a chiropractic standpoint. I'm taking in the neurological considerations from a brain standpoint. But then we're merging this through a lot of specialized places to go, hey, you're dealing with this consequence downstream. How do I reverse engineer that? It might be through balance or vision or hearing. So if you just take all your basic sensory systems and you go, are they working as well as they could? Too much, too little, just right? If we can calibrate those to what feels like a really healthy space for you based on good exam and good diagnostics, if we improve them a bit, could it downstream make a difference to things like sleep or migraines? Or anxiety or depression yeah they're all hardwired together man so it's it's no it's really no different than being a conductor of an orchestra I just know how to fine-tune each of the instruments on stage you just play every (laughs) part yeah because we're a whole person right like I went to 21 specialists over nine years and spent a hundred grand to get a diagnosis in the first six years of my marriage and no one even knew what to do with it once we had the diagnosis right my undergrad is in digital animation and special effects production. I never intended to be a doctor. Right, My brothers and I were doing music full time. Mm-hmm. The only reason I became a doctor was because I couldn't find a good one. I didn't know how to find one that knew how to work on somebody like me. And the more that we realized that, hey, this is a mental health issue, it's an emotional health issue, it's a physical health issue, it's a relational issue, you start taking all of those systems into consideration and go, it's probably something between the top of my head and the bottom of my feet, but everybody keeps looking at me as individual systems And nobody knows how to talk to each other. So what does it look like to step back and learn as much as I can about everything? So the only reason I got all that work, like I don't even have a name for my clinic on the building where I work. It's 100% referral. You're only coming there because you know that I'm there. I don't tell anybody to call me by a doctor name. I don't put up all the credentials that I have because I just don't care. The only thing I care about is whether or not we're actually making a difference to the reason that you're in the building, right? All that information is just so I don't end up looking at somebody going, I don't know what to do with that.
1: So my big takeaway from all of that is that if somebody schedules a consultation with you, instead of just asking them a bunch of questions about what's going on, you may just start tickling them. (laughs) And then based on how ticklish they are... You know where to go. That's the first test, dude. You should see, and
2: it happened. I mean, it was your face, Aaron, right when I said it. Dude, the number of times <laughs> that I tell that to people, and they're like, "Oh, that is definitely true." Yeah, you know, for me, and it's like, but no one's ever connected that, right? Right. Because we don't, we don't realize that we're more than just what we think, right? We're also what we feel, and how, what we feel impacts what we think, and what we think impacts how we feel, and feeling is both emotional and physical. But all this stuff's connected. So yeah, man, it's it's. Uh, definitely in this week alone and last week alone, I've had at least three people that have definitely cursed at me <laughs> while I'm doing something with them. But within, it, normally, the crazy thing is it normally takes about 60 to 90 seconds to get rid of somebody's ticklishness. Now, whether or not it sticks is another story.
1: So you actually tickle them? Oh, I properly tickle you. Them. I was kidding. You really are tickling people. You do that on the first time you meet them Uh, well uh, during the exam as an as
2: an indication yeah because the thing is is you want to be able to tell somebody and show somebody the biggest thing that a lot of people don't have right now is they don't have access to the or they don't have an appreciation for how quickly they can change like they feel super stuck right like i average 100 full-blown migraines per calendar year it's hard for me i had 16 in may and we're in june now it's hard sometimes to feel like you can get some traction So when I'm dealing with somebody that has a real sensitivity to touch and I can show them how they can actually integrate that touch in a really safe, permissible, consensual way that I'm like, look, I'm going to do this, but are we on the same page? And let me walk you through it. We're going to breathe at the same time. I'm going to give you this cognitive exercise where you're going to count backwards and you're going to call out colors and we're going to trick your brain into going, this is not a big deal. And then boom, all of a sudden it's not a big deal and you're 60 seconds removed from nearly having a panic attack to going, this is literally a non-issue. And you show somebody that in their body in real time, all of a sudden their brain goes, oh wow, like there's a lot that we can do. Yeah, let's start the conversation with that.
1: Well, that, one of my memories from growing up is I used to be very ticklish, and I had a babysitter that thought it was so funny to tickle me all the time that I am no longer ticklish. You just had to get over it. To I just—I think she tickled me so much one day. I was just like, I don't know if I my my brain took over and was like, we don't we just don't deal deal with this the same way anymore. But like to this day, like I'm not ticklish. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like I said, it's too much, too little, to just right.
2: You should have a sensitivity to touch that gives you a heads up that hey, I've got a startle response. Like whoa, what was that? That's a healthy response. Like right. fear is a good healthy response. But if you have too much of it and your brain shuts it down, now you're talking about repression. So everybody's brain deals with trauma differently. And is that good? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you have enough childhood trauma, you need yeah, to just no, Yeah, I've t- got yeah. a lot of repression. That's good, right? No, I mean, yeah. well, this is the thing. It also gives you, it gives you some empathy, some understanding for somebody who had something really significant happen and they can't remember it. It's like, how can you have something so significant happen that you can't remember it? Well, your brain, your brain can't tell the difference between perception and reality it thinks that an active threat, even in memory, is in the room with you, right? The phrase that I use is your brain can't tell the difference between a bear and a deadline. So if hmm. you have a project due or you're running late for a flight, I mean, I'm sure this has happened to you guys. If you're running late for a flight and you are legitimately under the assumption that you're going to miss that flight, it's not like you stand in the middle of security and go, hmm, I welcome this moment. <laughs> right, whatever happens, just right? yeah, chill. it's cool, we're good. And now if you've done a lot of inner work, maybe, But at the end of the day, we're all panicking as if it's an actual threat in the room, right? Right. So when this sort of stuff happens, sometimes we have a threat that's significant enough that the brain goes, look, if you recall that at all, I don't know if we can survive it. Because I don't know that we're remembering it. I think we're re-experiencing it. So it does really good jobs of compartmentalizing. But the problem is it doesn't mean you metabolized it. It means it's still stuck in your system somewhere. And there's tons of good new science coming out around like somatic work and body work and a lot of other things that are helping people process things that are really, really difficult, but through sensation, like touch, it's uh, it's pretty wild.
0: I knew I knew it was going to happen today, but I am in awe at how dumb I feel right now. <laughs> yeah, it's just. I feel like my brain is grits.
1: I'm just like, what it's would great. be a good question to ask after he says this? Uh, I don't even know. I'm just going to talk about You say a
0: new thing and then my brain gets just washed because yeah. now I'm thinking about, oh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, If it's, if it's any <laughs> consolation,
2: you're talking to a kid who went to school for digital animation,
0: right? It's not, it's nice. not like
2: I came into this.
0: You're one of us deep down. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah. it, I, this
2: is the thing, man. This is why all of the work that I do... In the content creation side of my world is so heavily art focused mm. because I don't I can't put anything into the world that is so meaty and academic because that's just silly. Yeah. Right? Like most of the mentors that I went through in a clinical and an academic setting had no idea how to translate it into something that was palatable. You know, my favorite quote from Einstein is to know a thing well is to explain it simply. So if at any point I'm with somebody and they don't understand it, that's not their fault. That's my fault. Right. Because right? only one of us has had the training, right? So yeah. So it's like, yeah. But I also, from a creative standpoint, man, I, I love the artistic side of things. This is, this is why, you know, the book that I have has got so much imagery around it. Because, you know, I mean, I describe my work like a Michelin star restaurant. You eat with your eyes first, right? So I want people to consume what it is that I'm offering visually before they got to sit down there and go, I have no idea what I'm eating or how it was made, but it was amazing.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's the best I've ever been tickled. <laughs> exactly right.
0: I'm. I mean, I'm very ticklish. Every time I go to the doctor, they put a stethoscope under my shirt. I just. You I, jump mean, on I can't take it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> if this wasn't the first episode, I'd say. Let's figure this out. Just tickle me until I get fixed. Start thinking about colors. Yeah. Think and about colors in your head. I'm mostly colorblind.
2: Yeah, I'm colorblind too. But oh. you know colors. Right? I do know
0: colors. So if you start visualizing
2: colors and you name them to yourself before, during, and after the stethoscope touches you, it'll, it'll decrease
0: the sense. Just gray, 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 gray. <laughs> even,
2: even that. Okay. A little diversity goes
0: a long <laughs> yeah. way. Dark gray, light gray, medium gray. Medium gray.
1: Uh, Pantones, whatever. Yeah. You know? all, all, right. the, all the shades of gray. Yeah, man. Um, that's wild. Where do you tickle people? Uh, Honestly. (laughs) I'm not going to get over this the whole time, bro. Yeah, yeah, you're good. Uh, Is that a request? What what is...
2: Well, yeah, so you ask people, hey, what's your... (laughs) No, well, what I do is, I, I it, normally, in, I have some pretty comprehensive intake paperwork, right? Because the people who are coming to me have been to everybody else. Sure. An average of 20 people, you know, it's not like somebody goes, hey, I think I, you know. I, Dr. Jerome's I, my first choice because yeah, he's clearly but, defined. Yeah, because yeah. I'm 100% referral based. You don't know about me unless you've gone through a lot of stuff.
0: Or right? let's do a podcast. You know? Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, I actually normally start on the soles of the feet because the soles of your feet have a ton of information about them. And also if you go back, everything that I do is really tied to the first two years of development as a human being. Like everything in a neuro exam, everything in a physical exam, you can do on a one-year-old. It's just adults should have some ways to kind of integrate those experiences. Like a one-year-old being ticklish is a different understanding than a 30-year-old being ticklish, right? Sure. So you do it on the soles of the feet because it gives you different feedback about withdrawals, foot movements, toe movements. Every single one of those lets you know who's in the driver's seat and who's not in the driver's seat. So bottom of the feet.
0: Isn't there Okay, so someone showed me this like this week. I I don't remember who, but they showed me the bottom of the foot chart.
1: That reflexology? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's like, this is your throat on the bottom of the foot. This is your anus. Yeah. Is that
1: is it true? Sure,
0: <laughs> it's true. Yeah. But
2: like, well, here's the thing, man. Where's the, the anus part? Help of your me foot. understand this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah where's my a, butt foot? Go, yeah, oh, there it is.
1: I, that's it.
2: There's always. Uh, there's always. I answer with the balance of man. There's. There's so many good fields of alternative, alternative, and traditional healthcare. Not all of them are well researched because research doesn't lend itself to some approaches, right? But I will say that a lot of Eastern medicine has been around for thousands of years, but it's not as well researched as Western medicine, right? But the crazy thing is, think of it this way, right? If you look at Atlanta 100 years ago, all of the people that were in Atlanta now compared to 100 years ago, vastly different. But if you're talking about the way things grow and move away, you're talking about origin space. So what I'm saying is in the brain, you can have a cell that starts out and then as it grows and it migrates, it can end up with some of those cells in the shoulder, some of those cells in the foot, some of those cells in the elbow. But their origin space is the same. It's a technical term called homologous columns, but it basically means that, like, I have an identical twin brother. My identical twin brother is in Houston, Texas, but we started out in the same place. So if you have a particular person that you're so wildly connected to that when one person is activated, the other person knows about it, even if you're separated by hundreds or thousands of miles, that's a whole field of science called, like, quantum entanglement and quantum theory. But there are ways that you can activate one cell and the other cell, not even remotely in the same geographical location, picks up the phone at the exact same time. So that's kind of how you can see something that's in the foot can affect a different organ or a different part of the brain. They just they they were born in the same place and they they ended up you know going and living in another part of the country.
1: Mm-hmm. When I was in college, I was picking my major. I was down between finance and quantum entanglement. Uh, and I ended up going with finances because it was broader, but I yeah, I love quantum entanglement. Yeah, so. man, it's it's just basically a you know,
2: feeling of, I think I should call this person, and then they're calling you as you pick up your phone.
1: Yeah,
0: that's amazing. And that weird juju. The yeah. fact I, I mean, you, you said this, but being able to run all this um, through the filter of what can these dummies understand, I appreciate so much. Like the <laughs> phone, pick up the phone, answer at the same time, twins yeah. moving across the country, but it came from the same place. Yeah, it all helps because I mean, the first half I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah. And then you yeah. just bring it home.
2: That's uh, that's my goal, man. Just to to, you know, make sure that you know that the parachute is on and it will also open, right? Another one <laughs> that I got. Yeah. yeah, I understand. Don't worry, that. I understand. It feels yeah. like yeah. it feels yeah. like we're falling at a faster rate than we are, but don't worry, it's gonna be it's gonna be great. Yeah,
0: yeah. You start you started throwing out the Q word quantum, yeah. and yeah. I was like, oh, here we go. We're but yeah. then it and was the fine. No. stuff. I'm still on board somehow. <laughs> it's like a Christopher Nolan movie. You know,
2: (laughs) I I think I'll have to watch Tenet like at least 11 times because the first few times I was like, yeah, I I needed a nap and a strong
1: drink after that. That encourages me so much. Yeah. Yeah, I watched it on an airplane, and I could see the people around me seeing me not understand it. Yeah, <laughs> I could true. see somebody watching me watching they me. Watch like, the screen guy and look at you. Is not getting that.
2: See, that's the problem with airplane movies, though, man. Because I'm always, I need to sit in a place where there's no one in front of me, because mm-hmm. I get sucked into them, and I don't have the headphones on. I can't hear what's happening, but it's like every 30 seconds, I'm glans- glancing at the screen. From the person in front of me and I'm sucked yeah. into that movie. Yeah. And you're like, stop doing that. You can't even hear what's happening. And then thirty seconds later you're like, I know that scene. <laughs> yeah. I'm here. It's and like, that's
0: exactly how Christopher Nolan intended his movies to yeah. be watched on a five yeah. by four little screen.
1: Well, I remember when Crazy Rich Asians came out, I finally watched it, but I felt like I'd already seen it four times because I'd been flying a lot that right. week. And everybody in front of me had been watching that movie. And I like when I was actually watching it, I was like, I know what comes next. Yeah. There's I mean, you talk about you know, watching a, a steamy
0: scene with your parents and how awkward that is when one pops up on a like on the delta screen yeah and it somehow wasn't edited and you just know everyone's looking at you that's one of the worst feelings in the world
1: yeah and i don't know do i fast forward it because that makes people feel weird yeah then he's like he's trying to pause it he's trying to pause he's trying to pause it because i'll probably accidentally pause it and then if you don't fast forward it do i look at my phone because then people are like he's on we're in an airplane he's not looking at his phone is he yeah. googling who this actress is I think
2: I'm still going back to the fact that you said you watch those steamy scenes with your parents and I, I, I can't relate to that well okay I, 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 that's I, I'm, not mm. I'm still stuck at that part of the story
0: right
1: yeah steamy scenes there's you used a lot. to watch those with your parents right yeah I have a, a bit about it on stage but my dad used to take movies he wanted us to see and put it into editing software and edit out the bad scenes so that we could watch the movies and then they would just be really awkward cuts and Delta used to do that too, but no more. No I more. I think it's a felony, actually. So wow. they stopped. Well, is it but, a felony? Uh, you're not supposed to mess with people's art. Like if someone chopped up this podcast and edited it without our permission, yeah, they would go to they'd be executed. Good, uh, yeah. <laughs> but Dr. Jerome, we're so excited that you're here with us, and we already have so much to think about. <laughs> <laughs> But this is not about you. This is about Aaron and I, okay? Yeah. That's cool. And Story of my life. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I am an identical twin. I told you guys that, right? Uh, sure.
0: I, I'm Nothing's I'm, ever I'm, been I'm, about <laughs> Jesse. No. know. Uh,
1: we, when we reached out to you to do this podcast, you gave us some homework, which we did not know was going to be a part of hosting a podcast, was having homework. But we did the homework, and could you tell us what exactly we did?
0: Yeah.
2: So um, I work also in the world of what's called the Enneagram. It's another personality inventory or kind of assessment. Um, but I wrote a, a book on the neuroscience behind it called The Brain-Based Model. Uh, so one of the things that I do is I do a profile on somebody that helps them to see. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, it's got nine numbers. That's why it's called ENEA for nine. Uh, it's kind of like Myers-Briggs or Strength Finders or DISC or Berkman or other things like that. Uh, but most of the time when it's used, somebody identifies with a single type. And the way that I do the model is saying that you actually have all nine in you. You're naturally capable of it, like saying you've got nine muscles in your body. You just may use one more than another, or you may use several more than another. Uh, so uh, what I end up doing is asking people to take a test on the Enneagram Institute called the REDI, R-H-E-T-I, and the IVQ. Um, the Ready stands for RISO Hudson Enneagram Type Indicator. It's basically their, their standard Enneagram test. And then the IVQ is about instincts, like how you show up instinctually versus kind of what your personality is, like reactively. And what I do is take that information and map it so we can see another analogy is that it's one global language, but you have nine dialects. And then based on that dialect, things will shift. So the conversation's slightly different, but it's based on whatever topic you're covering. So for instance, I'm super efficient in two. Excuse me. Two is really high for me. Two means that I love people. I don't know a stranger. I'm tied to building value and taking care of people and nurturing people. Uh, And that's super different than other areas, right? Like my twin brother and my older brother are highest in seven, which means they're enthusiastic. They're excited. They're entertaining. They love novel experiences. So basically what it's doing is if you look at it like a global experience, there's three continents and there's three countries on each continent. And based on your lifetime of lived experiences, you may have developed some fluencies in some areas and not in others. So it's the, the homework that you guys did was to take the test, give me those results And then I map it out, and basically what it it does is it gives me a global understanding of kind of what you move towards and what you move away from. It may not tell me why. That takes a little bit of conversation. But generally speaking, it tells me what you pursue and prioritize and what you avoid and don't prioritize. And then understanding that uh, gives us a lot of insights into kind of how we interact in the world.
1: And then we're just going to tell everybody. Our secrets.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> Everyone's you know guys want to know our
1: biggest weaknesses <laughs> in
2: episode one? <laughs> yeah, man. I tell everybody it's crazy, man. It's like, a, it's like a, when they went from x-ray to MRI and then went from MRI to functional MRI. It's like the difference between looking at a photograph from the 1850s and a photograph from 2021. But even then, a photograph is not the same thing as a 4K movie, right? The movie is just going to give you something different, but the photograph is still really good. The Enneagram to, to date has been an incredible snapshot, but it hasn't been organic and dynamic in terms of the fluidity, fluidity of what it offers because most people, when they talk about the Enneagram, the first question that they ask you is, what's your number? And realistically, as a human being, we are super complex, right? There's a lot happening. So to distill a human being down into a single number is a bit naive. Yeah, I have a
1: lot of friends and relatives that are very into the Enneagram, and they're always trying to tell me who I am. Yeah. And I'm so resistant to that.
2: Yeah, and and you should be, right? Because, I mean, the thing is, is we're not even the same people that we were when we started this podcast. Yeah, right. That's how fast the brain changes. I feel pretty different, actually. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> so, yeah. it's, it's the, And, I mean, even me, I'm an identical twin, and my twin brother and I are very similar in a lot of ways and very different in a lot of ways, yeah. right? And especially in my world when I work with really, really severe head injuries, right? Like I worked with a 27-year-old young lady last month who was in a car accident, was in a coma for eight weeks, was in the hospital for four months, and I was seeing her eight weeks post-hospital discharge. And her as a human being, structurally, functionally, and especially from a personality standpoint, wholly different than the person who went into the car accident. So we have to know that based on what happens with our brains, whether it's physical trauma, it's mental and emotional trauma, it's relational or racial trauma, our entire experience as a human being can shift based on whatever keeps us alive. They're all survival strategies. So it's starting the conversation with helping people know they're not fixed, they're dynamic, and it's like traffic in Atlanta. Depending on the day, that you drive in Atlanta, your experience going from point A to point B can be vastly different. Even though structurally it's the same, but functionally it's a completely different experience. It's the same thing with personalities and, and any gram tests.
1: Whew. All right, next time I'm driving in traffic, I'll be like, this is not that simple. Not that simple. Uh, so who are we? What is our deal? We don't, yeah, who, we want to who won, though, who won? Yeah, did we, <laughs> did I win? Well, yeah,
2: who, had the, who had the higher score? Well yeah, the, who had the higher score? Well I'll tell you, interestingly enough, the person who's gonna be more interested in winning is actually going to be Andrew, then uh, right. it is going to be uh, you. no. Yeah. Um, but But you'll, you'll, you'll have a reason for that, right? Okay. Okay. So here's the thing. First thing I would tell you in, in just looking at this is uh, think about it like pilots, co-pilots, flight attendants, and passengers, okay? Okay. Any number that is scoring a 20 or higher is a pilot. Okay. okay. It means it's a driver. Somebody can actually operate. They're an executive team person, right? I just wanted to take
0: notes as if we're not recording. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
2: So what it means is you got to look at all of this and go, okay, there's, there's different levels of, of proficiency and efficiency and stamina. But for instance, for Andrew, He's got three numbers that are 20 or higher, but he's also got a 19 and an 18. So they're, they're pretty freaking high, right? right. But, so, for instance, what that means is if you look on the right side of your chart, Andrew, and for anybody who's at home, you guys can
1: post the picture if you want, but we're not. We'll, we'll um, see how this goes before yeah, I decide. To post the he's the pilot. You're going to call me the hijacker. <laughs> so yeah. Andrew right. has a lot of flight attendant energy. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so if you look on the right side of yours, Andrew, you see where it says the priorities, motivations, and values at the top, oh, yeah. right? Okay. And it goes creativity, serenity, clarity, guarantees, authenticity. Authenticity, right? Yes. So if you put that into a sentence, basically what it's saying is you're always going to land with creativity being the ultimate goal. Like that's the thing that's driving you. It's outcomes, it's achievement, it's success. It's a metric that allows you to go. I made something, and that thing was made so well that when somebody measures me by that thing, they'll they they won't find me wanting, right? Like it's right. so effective. But you also have a huge desire to make sure that there's an absence of conflict. Like the serenity piece is saying, I want things to be peaceful. I'm not here to create disruption. In fact, I'm here to reduce it and minimize it. And you're also asking for clarity. Like it matters if you have proper information, that there's good boundaries. That's where the five comes in. The five is like, hey, I wanna understand. I care about discipleship. I care about mentorship. I care about boundaries. I care about investigation. I'm the type of guy that will spend a little bit more time asking more questions, because I actually do wanna understand. The information matters, right? Does that make sense?
1: That all sounds just right on, and it is scary that those tests I took say that. Yeah,
2: (laughs) but then you drop down and you're like, okay, so I'm interested in creativity, serenity, and clarity, but I also really, really like guarantees. Yeah. Like, I I like security. I feel safer when there's a good, firm foundation, and I feel stable, right? And then one more, authenticity is also really relevant, right? Because authenticity scored an 18 in, and I'll give you the comparison of what you don't value as much, but when you look at authenticity, it's like, Okay, compassion matters. It isn't just about fixing things for people. It might be sitting with somebody in a space and going, let me just be present to what it is that you're dealing with. Is this an authentic conversation? Is it truthful? Is it meaningful? Is it real? Is it deep? Is it genuine?
1: I seem like a really good person. You do. I, feel I don't really, think this is right. I feel really <laughs> good. I was under the influence of a lot of things when I took these tests. Whoa. Uh, compassion being the main one. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly but, right. So no, that's you, great. So those are like my. I was drunk your, on those, being a, a good guy. So those are like my exactly. top. Those are my top score. <laughs> those things. are the top
2: ones. And why I say that is, is you, you've got for you, you've got, you've got results for all of the types. Again, there's nine types, one through nine, but they range any, anywhere from a score of seven to twenty-three. So think of it like decibels, right, or miles per hour. Every number on the score is how fast are you moving in that space? How loud are you speaking in that space? So the entire group is not, is a nine-piece band on stage. But the people that you're gonna hear clearly are the people who are singing the song about what are we making? What are we doing to make sure that there's peace and that there's comfort and that there isn't conflict? What are we doing to make sure everybody understands we're on the same page and I understand? What are we doing to make sure that it feels safe, right? And what are we doing to make sure that it feels authentic, that it doesn't feel superficial? Because everything that you're moving towards, you're also trying to avoid. Like the three is allergic to failure. Like you want success, but you're also allergic to failure, right? The nine wants serenity, but it's also allergic to conflict. The five wants clarity, it's also allergic to ambiguity. The six wants guarantees, it's also allergic to insecurity or especially someone who's disingenuous and untrustworthy, right? Trust is huge for six energy. But then four wants authenticity, so they're allergic to superficiality. So, it's giving you an idea of not only what you're moving towards, but for the love of God, don't introduce the opposite of it, right? That'll be fun my
1: next doctor's appointment. Like, are you allergic to anything? Like, superficiality? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Just be like, all right, dude, we get it. Yeah,
2: exactly. It's like when I go to the doctor, which is often for my my migraine history, they always ask me, especially if I'm the the more intense the migraine, the more I tend to get sarcastic and facetious because that's how (laughs) I process pain. Um, But they always ask if I have any allergies. And I'm like, yeah, bullets and cilantro. Right, <laughs> and, and, yep. and my there wife is go. always like, Is mm. that ever gonna get old? And I'm like, No, I don't I don't so. that's the first time they've ever heard it. They Bullets. laugh every time, right?
0: 100%. Yeah,
1: that should have been the name of this podcast Bullets and Cilantro. Cilantro yeah, yeah, and I would that's definitely have listened
2: to the first part and not the second part. Yeah,
1: <laughs>
0: like and you're right? on stage, you, you can't You do a joke one time and they laugh, and you're like, All right, time to move on. Never <laughs> yeah. saying that joke again. Yeah, can't yeah. Do that's
2: that. it. That's enough of that. So what you end up doing, Andrew, just to show you kind of how you connect it, is you can end up actually showing people what their purpose statement is pretty quickly by all of this information, but you lose it if somebody says you're just a three, right? Because you're not just a three. Sure. You're a human being who is saying, I want to authentically guarantee spaces that provide clarity and peace where people feel like they're succeeding and they feel seen. Like collectively, that's, that's the goal as a whole. It's not just one of those things. It's all of those things in combination. So you're saying it, it
0: weirds amount to be put in that box of just a three. You're
2: saying? Well, the biggest thing is, is if you put somebody who's just a three into just a three box, yeah. then what you're doing is always setting the bar. And oftentimes you can set the ceiling. Mm. And what somebody who's high in three energy is trying to constantly do is they're trying to say, look, what does it look like for me to climb another rung on the ladder? What does it look like for me to raise my own bar? What does it look like for me to establish and build a box that's never been built before? Because I want to define what success means to me. I don't want you to define if I'm successful. I want to define where I'm successful. But the problem is that you're gauging that against what is every lived experience of the people that you've grown up with and how successful they are and how you compare it to that success.
1: Thankfully, right. I don't have that many successful family members or friends. Yeah, so that's, out, okay. that's a beautiful thing, right? Uh, but yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the three is what I scored the highest in, but Only two points below that was nine and then one more below was five. So to just say I'm a three is to ignore that. Yeah, you're almost just as high in some of the other things.
2: Yeah. And the way that you know what changes is what's the topic, right? So if you're in the middle of a conversation, like you guys are setting up a podcast and you're like, okay, well, what's the goal? That's a three question. Right. And then saying, okay, well, what's the right way for us to structure the schedule so I can catch my breath and I feel like I'm resting because I don't want to drive to the point that I can't actually sustain this. That's a nine question, like how do I rest? The gift of three is confidence, the gift of nine is rest. So both of those things are really relevant. And then the five is like, okay, well what are we actually gonna try and understand and what do we hope that our audience understands as a result of the conversation? Because if it ends up, it can be lighthearted and it can be fun and it can be all these other things, but if people finish it and they didn't get anything out of it, then you're like, well that that was a waste of our time, like they've got to actually walk away with something that that helps them to understand themselves or the world better, even if it's done through the mechanism of comedy or whatever. The rest yeah, yeah. So
1: please let us know if you guys get anything out of this at all. Yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would that would go a long way towards making me feel good. Yeah. If you guys <laughs> let me know.
2: Cause then you get the data point, right? Yeah. And part of it's levity, but part of it's true. Like yeah. if somebody messaged you and said, Hey man, that was really, really meaningful. Like that information was new for me. And I'm, a, I appreciate that. You're like, winner, you're releasing all of the good neurochemistry in your system that goes, do it again,
1: I
0: love yeah. this feeling. Mm-hmm. I will
1: send them an edible arrangement.
2: Yeah, exactly, right? they do that. Yeah.
0: And, and what about negative messages? Yeah, so we don't need. We don't need to get into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Because <yeah. laughs> I get those screenshots every once in a while. Yeah. And he's <laughs> like, look at this, look what someone says. Do, yeah. yeah, well, I
2: mean, the, there's a, and there's a lot of differences, right? Because you're talking about there's, there's tons of different ways that will show up. And I would just say this. That anytime you're triggered, you cannot be triggered without a degree of fatigue. And the degree of fatigue and the degree of the trigger are kind of very closely related. So sometimes things don't trigger us, and sometimes they do. And most of the time when they do, it's also connected to fatigue, right? Um, Wow. But for instance, somebody who's really high in a, a three can be triggered by somebody introducing something in the conversation about your particular incompetence, right? Like somebody says you're not capable Hmm. or somebody says you don't know what you're doing or somebody goes, that's not worth anything or that didn't work. And you absolutely know that it did. Then what ends up happening is in that system, it can double down and go, well, let me show how that's not right. That's not true. That's not, I I definitely feel that this is successful. Sure. We couldn't, for the sake of time, couldn't go into all of the things, but when you look at what's called the instincts, um, your instinct is much higher in what's called self-preservation. So if you get triggered, your instinct is to withdraw, not to engage, right? Yeah. So it's like the three energy that's, that's self-preservation based or withdrawal based won't necessarily jump, jump right into engaging in a fight in that conversation. They'll step back, build something bigger, and then just put it back into the room that shuts the entire conversation down around whether or not they're a success. Because they're like, I may not fight you toe-to-toe about what I'm doing, but I may step out of the conversation and bring something back that's so evident of my capacity, you can't compute,
1: compete with it, right? That is so true. We might have to cut that out. Uh. <laughs> so I know, <clears throat> I, I know we're about to get into me. Uh, sure. Well,
0: I could have said that better. Keep that uh, up. <laughs> if, so I know there's not a winner, but before, we, like, before you do my profile, who would you rather hang out with looking just at the chart? Yeah, I mean, just, to the just chart. by the chart. If you're like you're going to a cabin for a weekend with we one are of these terrible. charts, terrible. I you need to me, know.
1: If you tell me I didn't go, do a good job, I'll probably just shut down and change the. the topic He's gonna the get trigger fatigue. Yeah, yeah, no, you're good. If you guys understood what I'm most efficient in,
2: you would know that my capacity to answer that question is pretty low. Yeah, yeah. No, okay. <laughs> so I'll just say we would be my in we would we would be in a place where all of us are traveling together. <sighs>
0: You would get a new Airbnb so we all fit. Exactly. Oh, okay. come on. Would, okay. yeah.
2: Or I'd have to make sure that we both have equal trip time together at different times.
0: <laughs> oh. So you'd go rafting with
1: me and and archery with Andrew. I just know I'm gonna start responding to the questions with my capacity for answering that question is low. Yeah. That's gonna be my new response It's very like an alien trying to fit in human clothing. Yeah. Answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you great, say then. it in just like a unrecognizable accent it's just like I don't even think that's a human <laughs> dialect no yeah yeah well, let's do Aaron now <laughs> <laughs> all right <clears throat> I'm ready that is that is so helpful and I am gonna just gonna need to listen to this a few times yeah, yeah, probably. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went
0: to a, a
1: therapist for a good uh, year year and a half she yeah. was wonderful She was very
0: very Enneagram based yeah um does she tickle you zero tickling
1: well, then she's a fraud. Emotionally, <laughs> well, tickled a, me a lot.
2: Yeah, li- licensed professional counselors, unless they have some specific certifications, probably should not be touching you. It's a little malpractice <laughs> Yeah, a little malpractice yes, be Okay, pretty, uh, pretty well, it's, sure it's going to help.
0: It's been a while, and, you know, I think I've changed. I've grown. Yeah. I don't know, in not probably not in the Enneagram sense, but, yeah, all right, solve me. Cool, all right. <laughs> a puzzle that is Aaron, Aaron
2: tuning, right? Mm. Uh, so the cool thing is, man, you're actually f- flipped from Andrew in terms of what you lead with. You lead with your gut, meaning that is that a fat joke? Or yeah, it can be. Okay, um, but I'm heavier than you. If, if it makes you feel any better, <laughs> I'm two eighty five. So you no, know, basically, if you look at those spe- those places or those spaces in the middle, um, what it's saying is that your gut is higher than your heart, and your heart is higher than your head, but not by much. So what that means is you're going to trust your instinct and move decisively. Then you're going to have almost an equal measure. A certain emotional feeling about it and then a certain thought about it.
1: Mm. There it is. <laughs> I know you
2: can edit it out.
0: Yeah, we're like gonna write it. write down the time code. No,
1: I, we keep that in. That's that's that what is it, ASMR yeah. stuff that we said yeah, we, we would that's never what do again. Want.
2: My gosh, that was that was bothering That me was the one You're ages. Pregnant.
1: Thank you. I loved okay. it. Okay.
2: So what that means is when you show up in the world you have a much higher probability of trusting what your instinct is telling you and moving on that. Like one of the things that's really entertaining about all of the comedy and the entertainment that you do is it's very spontaneous, right? Like it might have a degree of planning, yeah. but there's a high probability that a majority of the funniest things that you do are autopilot. And then in hindsight, you're like, I have no idea where that came from. Yeah, that's true. Right. Cause yeah. it's instinct. Um, but you also have a lot. And that's
0: of- very opposite of Andrew, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, basically, what you said about me adds up because I will come up with something and then I will talk myself out of posting it because I don't think that it's funny. For enough. sure. Yeah. And
0: I mean, with just you focusing on stand up, me doing more, yeah, moving through the world and I see a funny thing and just make a moment out of it. Yeah. yeah. I'm more like naturally funny and Andrew's more like forced it, like yeah. he has to force it to be kind <laughs> yeah. of funny. That, that yeah. sounds yeah. exactly right.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: It's, it's the nature of what happens when you over meditate on something, you're premeditating and then you don't mm-hmm. think enough about it cause there's a higher probability of him missing an opportunity cause he waited and you stepping on your own foot. Yeah, That makes sense. Right. Or mm-hmm. I'm like, say
0: something I shouldn't have. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, you're
2: yeah. like, well, that's out there. Can't take that. Right.
0: Back. Right. So the pros and cons, pros you said cons. the pilot thing and I said hijacker and I already, I kind of regret it already. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
2: Yeah. So, you know, you just go, Oh, that was, that was default. But for you, I mean, if you look at it, your three highest, right? So I'll actually use your four highest because you have a really interesting kind of gap between your top four and your bottom five.
1: Well, I don't know.
2: If right? that interesting. Yeah. I've got a great gap. Yeah, I've been told a, that. you got a great gap. <laughs> so your highest four numbers are nine, two, six, and one. So what that means is your pilot or your driver that's leading is constantly saying, okay, what does it look like to minimize conflict, to increase peace, to have comfort, to have serenity, to have a placid space? To be in the boat so effectively that there aren't even any ripples in the oh, water. Oh, yeah. Right? There's no turbulence. Right. Yeah, you're not rocking the boat at all. Yep. Because a lot of your compensations that you have are tied to when you felt something get turbulent, how did you show up and introduce levity to neuter pain? Yeah, yeah, right?
0: yeah. So Levity to neuter pain. Neuter that is, pain? You just, just say these things
1: it. and you just move on? Yeah. As yeah. if <laughs> that wasn't like such a... Th- we it's need to in, think about those phrases. We, have, we need to
0: neuter pain. Yeah, right, right, neuter pain. We got a new podcast title. We got to rebrand. There you go. Right. So,
2: but the interesting thing is when you see the the numbers in combination with each other. This is your executive team. This is the people that are in the car with you every time that you get out of bed and you move towards something. Your driver is saying, "How are we going to minimize conflict and increase a felt sense of safety and peace with everybody? How are we going to make sure that everybody's appreciated and valued and loved?" That's the two. How are we gonna increase security and guarantees and outcomes and make sure that everybody feels seen and taken care of, but there's also a really good plan and a really good strategy so that we're moving towards something intentionally, that's six. And then it also matters that we do it properly. like The way that it's done, the process, the execution, the protocol, we're not just gonna fly by the seat of our pants and go, it doesn't really matter how we build it. No, it actually matters how it's done. I have
0: such a rigid right and wrong filter. Yeah, and that's the one. It's like. Mostly good, but also bad.
2: Yeah, Yeah. but this is where people miss it, right? Like if they call you just a nine, they miss that the two is a part of you that is so tied to affection and nurturing and caring and loving that at the end of the day, the last thing that you would want to do is put somebody into a situation where they felt unloved or felt unworthy. You're like, and also realistically, all the things that you're high in, you're intimately high in because you know what it's like to feel the absence of that, right? Mm. So you know what it feels like to feel the absence of peace because there's massive conflict. You know what it feels like to feel unworthy and unloved and deal with shame? So you're like, I don't wanna introduce that for somebody else. In fact, what I do is providing some felt sense of enjoyment in life because somebody watches my stuff and goes, yeah, that, that, that took the pain away for a few minutes, right? And I feel loved and I feel cared for you. Nobody watches your stuff and goes, I feel worse about myself, right? That's well, the that's, the, that's the goal. That's, that's the, the goal. goal. That's the outcome. It has happened. It has but happened, yeah, yeah. but that's also because sometimes your your mouth is moving exactly. faster than your brain. That's 100% right? true. <laughs> so, I didn't
0: fully think through it. I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah, I was a little mean. Sorry. Because
2: the last thing to show up for you statistically is what you think about it, right? You're, you're high in it. But if you think about it from miles per hour, thinking is 45 miles an hour, heart is 47 miles an hour, and gut is 52 miles an hour. So you, if you, in, if, unless you intentionally slow your, your reactivity down and slow your emotional response down just a touch, you're not gonna give your chance to stop and think through it a chance to catch up, right? Mm-hmm. So it's gotta be intentional kind of maneuvering. But the other side of it is not only you're trying to bring peace and m- avoid and mitigate conflict and you're trying to help people feel loved, but it also really, really matters that you're like, okay, well, what's the, how do we strategize this? Like, how do we forecast? Like, I wanna offer a guarantee. I wanna make sure that your bags are packed properly and you got what you need to get where you're going, right? The six is the, the deductive reasoning and logic forecast person. It's also really, really tied to anybody that's high in six. Every, everybody deals with it differently, but six specifically is where somebody can really connect with anxiety pretty quickly Because they're so good at seeing something that's coming and anticipating it that the healthy response is concern. But if it's unregulated and it's unrestrained, concern can really fast track into anxiety. Because anxiety is quintessentially a future tense experience that hasn't yet happened. Mm -hmm. Like I'm concerned the car is not going to stop in enough time. Concern is a good thing. Right. But if you constantly feel like everything you're doing in life is you're missing the last step when you're going down the stairs in every conversation you're having... You're really efficient about thinking about walking down the stairs, but you're also really efficient at not feeling like you're on solid ground, right? So it's that idea of going, it's great for me to forecast, but what does it look like for me to step back and go, I'm probably okay to move forward without any additional planning. Right? Yeah. I'm good. I can pull the trigger. And then the one where you talked about the rigidity, the one is not only. The what? One energy with side of rigidity, like you said, black rigidity. And white. Yeah, They said
0: virginity. And I was like, we just took a hard left. Yes, and I don't know if I want to get into just, all this. Okay, This is okay. not what we said. R- yeah. Rigidity. Rigidity, yeah. Which, I uh, have not lost when, my rigidity. When did you lose your rigidity? rigidity? Yeah. No, I am they were very probably, rigid.
2: Both of those conversations probably happen at the same time. Tell so okay. the story. So, no, no, no. When okay. You lost your rigidity. Hey, a doctor speaking. Andrew, stop. Yeah. So when you're talking about one, <laughs> you're talking about what's right and what's wrong. Uh, but it's really heavily tied to making things right. Yeah. Right. So when you're in a one, it's, it's a really, really good gift for being able to execute. Like for example, um, one is lower for Andrew, right? Uh, it's what I call a pivot point.
0: Yeah. Get wrecked, Andrew. Yeah.
2: So it's a pivot point. If he has a good experience with somebody saying, Hey, how exactly are we doing that? And what's the action items? If it's a good positive experience, it can actually accelerate the entire encounter. But if somebody starts to harp really hard on the accuracy and the perfectionism of something, he can just hit the eject button and check out. Right. Somebody who's high in a one cannot take a 99 for an answer. A 99 is a zero until it's 100, Hmm. right? Because they can't see the 99 answers that they got right. They see the one they got wrong. So for you, your tendency to go, okay, well, what's the right way to do it? What's the justice-based way to do it? Are we actually taking into consideration that we're making things better? That's really important for somebody who's high in a one, right? Their gift is agency, so they're able to speak up for themselves better than people who are low in one, right? The challenge is that anything that's a gift can be a curse. So if you're really good at speaking up for yourself, you're sometimes not great at not speaking up when you shouldn't, (laughs) right? Like you can speak a little quicker than you need to. Just shut your mouth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So ones are the natural gift of being able to spontaneously say something. And then sometimes ones are like, maybe I should have just waited to say anything. So that's where that energy comes in. So if you look at it as a sentence for you, like I did for, for Andrew, you're trying to Live in spaces where you can accurately guarantee, in effective ways, that people are loved,
0: valued, and also nurtured. That's my whole. That's my whole thing. Yeah, that's my whole thing. If I'm hanging out with people, Andrew sees it. We go to karaoke, and I usually
1: I'll some I invite
0: too many people usually, Invites and no one knows people. each other. And I like, we'll make I just want to make sure everyone's comfortable. Aaron brings everybody
1: together. And I've met some people through him I really don't like, but I did feel together with them through Aaron. You were
0: were
2: officially together. That's what matters. That statement that you just made at the end there is the landing statement for a nine. So you did all that for people to feel nurtured, but it doesn't matter unless people also feel comfortable. Oh, yeah. Like the comfortable, the the, the creature comforts, right? Which we're all having right now. (laughs) The comfort level is quintessentially tied to nine, right? So the cool thing is nine is also in the Enneagram world known as the ground of being but nine is also the anchor, right? So seven is a kite. It's like all over the place. It's a high, high kite energy. It's really enthusiastic, and that's great because it's also what deals with celebration. Somebody who's low in a seven sometimes struggles to be celebrated because they'll disqualify whether or not they did enough to justify is the celebration. Celebration. Celebrated. Sometimes <laughs> I'm low in a seven. And yeah. I, yeah. Struggle with celebration. <laughs> um, but somebody who's high in a nine uh, a lot of times they can, like if you take the metaphor and for the sake of time, we can't go into all of it, but I'll use nine specifically because mm-hmm. you're highest in nine. Yep. Nine can be an anchor in the storm. It can also be an anchor when you need to go somewhere. Yeah. Right? So nine can be something that's like, look, man, I am so grounded that you can, you can sit with me in this space, especially when you're high in two. The challenge for somebody who's high in two is that you can end up hearing somebody's concern. And you're innately connected to whether or not you can fix it for that person, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And the interesting thing is, you're you're relatively low in four compared to Andrew. Your four is pretty low. Yeah, yeah, dude. Four wait, is, th- wait, is that good? Which one's better? Get your four. <laughs> get your four up to my level. <laughs> yeah. So here's an example, okay? And I'm I'm just I'm totally doing this off intuition. You yeah. guys can tell me if I'm right or okay. wrong up to this point. But when you're low in four, and which you're is high, me, right? Which is I'm you, low, yeah. And you're high in two. Okay. Four is the space for compassion. It's the space for sitting with somebody while they're hurting, right? Two and I'm low in that. Yeah. Oh, and no. two is the space where you want to love somebody well. So if you walk into a room with someone who's hurting, two always wants to be an ER nurse, right. They walk into a situation with somebody who's uncomfortable and they can't not try to support that person and resolve their pain. The difference between two and four energy is four can walk into the room with someone who is quintessentially suffering and not even desire to fix it for them. Right. Yeah, that's gotcha. me. <laughs> yeah, four is to give you an analogy. Oh, so me. I win that one. Okay. okay. Yeah. So you, I help. You, you help just a sit. lot
1: more than me. I'm fine to not help. You're in the waiting room. I'm sewing up the bullet when Yeah. I'm like it, as long as no one will think less of me for not helping, I don't mind not helping. It, right.
2: Yeah, it depends. It, but here's the thing: it depends on the context of the situation. So, oh no. Okay. So to to make it not too somber, but to give you a practical example, my wife and I have lost three out of four parents. We have no uncles, no aunts, mm. no grandparents. My mom is the only family family tree going up. Right. I have a very intimate experience. With, with grief and with suffering and with death. I've had two suicide attempts myself. Very familiar with all of these spaces, yep. right? Four, when it's high, is the energy that can sit with somebody who's, doing, who's in a space of profound suffering and not offer them a platitude. They just give them space. Yeah. They give them presence. Right. Because there's nothing that you could say that rem- could remotely make that person feel better in that moment. Right? right. You don't need a platitude. You need somebody to sit with you. And right? I'm like,
0: have you seen this movie? It'd yeah. Help.
2: yeah. And, and you walk into the space <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God, that person is legit hurting. Yeah. Especially if it's a relational pain. And you're like, oh, I need to do something immediately to buffer that. Because what you're actually feeling is your own pain in the space and you're trying to minimize your own. Right. So it's a challenge of going, is it possible for me to still be in relationship with this person and just be with them without offering them a solution? Right. Right. So why I say that is when you're really, really high in nine like yours, you can be really grounded and anchored for somebody, but then it can also really heavily translate into stubbornness and really heavily translate into a, a, a resistance to move forward because you're like, but I, I'm really comfortable with where I'm at. So how do you deal with transitions compared to other people? Right. It's yeah. Different. It's different. But you don't see that unless you notice that your bottom two numbers are four and eight. And four is, am I going to be compassionate with myself? Am I going to offer myself some compassion? And am I going to sit in a conversation that lets me connect with what hurts with me? that's four. Yeah. It's individual pain and suffering, right? But it's also individual, authentic connection, right? Like, are you always deflecting? Or can you sit with what's good and bad about you? Or do you make it about something else? And then the eight is like, how uncomfortable is it to do that? Well, eight is the space in the human experience that lets you have some degree of resilience and stamina for discomfort, both physically, mentally, and emotionally. The challenge is a lot of people who are high in eight are making everybody else uncomfortable because that's the way they process their discomfort, they're projecting, right? So the whole thing becomes, for you, not only can you find peace and give that to other people and love them well, but also can you get a chance to connect with your own authentic individuality in a way that lets you grow as a result of kind of stretching yourself a bit. Breaking yeah. break a sweat in the conversation that goes, hey, what's up with you? And no, you can't give me a
0: superficial answer. He knows us. Goodness gracious.
1: Um, okay, I have a thing I want to bring up. This will be a test to see if I've understood anything that you've said today. This will be me trying to say something you tell me if I'm right or wrong, okay? Yeah. So what if you,
0: what if it's wrong? What if you're like, if it's wrong, you're just like, we've wasted
1: our time. Um, The name of our podcast is no worries if not. Um, And we decided on that because both of us have trouble being assertive in emails and in life and we want everyone else to be happy. And I noticed low low eight. Okay. Well, that's not what I was going to say. So I think I failed already. I was going to say Aaron and I are both my number two highest one is nine, the peacemaker and his highest is number nine peacemaker. Is that where that comes from, or is it that we're low in eights? It's both. No, okay. you're right on the money. Oh, I nailed it. Yeah. All right. You worries. nailed it. You listened. Yeah. Yeah.
2: No worries if, if, if you don't understand. Yeah, seriously, it's fine. If you It's try. also one of those things that, here's the thing, realistically, if you're a healthy parent, is anybody going to get pissed if you don't ride a bike on the first try? No. no. If, if you're a healthy parent, no. Okay. Yeah. How many I was times thinking
1: you... of myself as a parent and the person trying to ride the bike. Well, yeah, because you're, you're both <laughs> in this
2: situation, <laughs> right? Uh, but how many times have you guys walked through this process?
1: What riding process, a
2: bike? No, this process that we're doing. Right Indograms, yeah, like this. Oh,
1: I've oh, never. A, I just did the free version one time. Okay, and so should then my I, sister told me a bunch of stuff I disagreed with?
2: Yeah, so should I anticipate that you're pretty effective at writing and navigating this entire space? No, no. right. So it doesn't matter if you understand it yet. <laughs> <laughs> we're literally teaching you the alphabet. The only way it's going to work is if you go back and you listen to it a couple of times, and your brain gets a chance to go, oh. Yeah, no, that that's relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Imagine you having the best meal on the planet and somebody said, Well, what are all the ingredients? And you're like, I don't know, I just know that it I I, it feels right, it tastes good, right? Until you go back and you learn how to cook it and then you break down the entire process of making it, nobody can expect you to do that. Yeah. I don't expect you to be able to reteach this. You just heard it for the first time. But the interesting thing to your point that you intuited really well there, nine and eight are polarized to each other, right? So eight is fight energy, nine is flight energy. One is freeze, so you got fight, flight, or freeze. Eight energy is designed to say, in order for me to survive, I have to be assertive. Nine energy is saying, in order for me to survive, I absolutely cannot be assertive. But then you gotta be able to be both in the same space. So what both of you have high capacity for is a nine with an eight wing, it's called the conflict negotiator, right? They're the person who goes, I can sit in the midst of disruption and conflict and not take it personally because I've had so much fluency in being in the middle of a conflict and not knowing how to get out of it that I had to figure out how to do that. You have fluency in not seeking disruption, seeking conflict. You have fluency in being able to be in the middle of it, sort it out, and then get rid of it. Because as soon as you can resolve the conflict, you can go back to being comfortable again. Yeah. So both of you have an allergy to assertiveness because your brain is processing assertiveness as aggressiveness, and they're not the same thing.
1: Hmm. (sighs) Uh, so if I, yeah, so if I can stop using as many exclamation points in my emails to make people think I'm not upset with them, yeah. and really, it's just being more assertive to not, you, to not have to worry about what people are thinking all the
2: time. 100%, man. And think of it like in a physical, actual experience of assertive, right? Because we oftentimes misunderstand the meaning of these words. It's about, think of it like a spectrum, right? Like a speedometer, okay? If I assert my foot pedal, like I'm actually offering assertion, Mm -hmm. right? You assert something, you assert energy. Sexual gas pedal. Right. Gas pedal. If I'm trying to move into a gas pedal and I'm in a space where I don't know exactly how to operate this particular vehicle with this particular power and this particular torque, what does it look like for me to just put my foot on the gas and figure out how to go from zero to one? Or from zero to five miles yeah. an hour, right? Your brain is thinking if I hit the gas pedal, I'm going from zero to a hundred. So avoid hitting the gas pedal. That's exactly right. Right. So when, you, <laughs> when you're in a situation that you're like, I want to send an email, it's less about trying to figure out the right speed and figuring out how do I introduce some speed instead of being aggressive and avoiding feeling aggressive. How do I assert myself in a way that allows me to show up at all? Because in order for you to assert yourself, you have to, you have to actually engage, right? So again, engagement and assertiveness are all synonyms with each other. So looking at something and saying, this is normally where I would check out. This is normally where I would disconnect. And instead, I stayed three minutes longer, right? You stay three minutes longer, it doesn't require you to step into the conversation and become this huge energy. It requires you to check in with yourself and go, normally my tendency would be to leave.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: instead, or for you, your, your instinct is social, Mm-hmm. So normally your instinct would be to make sure that everybody feels seen, everybody's connected with, every, that's the, the social butterfly, right? It's the person who's like, I can't leave, especially when you're high into a nine. I can't leave until everybody feels seen and everybody's been checked in with. So what would it feel like to assert yourself in a way and engage in something that feels like conflict by saying, you know what I'm going to do? I think I'm going to leave early and I'm not gonna say bye to everybody.
0: Yeah. That would be like, now
2: you know, okay, well how uncomfortable do I feel with that? If you feel wildly uncomfortable, it may exceed your threshold, so back it down just a bit. Maybe say I'm not gonna say bye to those three people I chose to do that and they're not gonna hate me for it because we know each other well enough and we got enough relational equity Mm -hmm. that it's not gonna cost me the relationship, but your brain doesn't know that. Your brain actually thinks that if I don't say goodbye to that person, they're not gonna like me anymore, I'm gonna lose a friendship and we're gonna lose connection and all of a sudden now I'm out of friends. It's actually a survival strategy, right? So when I say assertiveness, especially because you guys are high in nine and low in eight collectively, what does it look like for me to bump up the volume one decibel? What does it look like for me to stay just a little bit longer when I want to leave? Or for, for you, Aaron, it's leaving a little earlier than you want to. Mm. Just engaging in a slight touch of discomfort because it's really about getting outside of your comfort zone. The shorthand statement for you when you're high in nine and low in eight is what does an opportunity look like for me to get outside of my comfort zone? And that could be literally anything. Literally. If you feel uncomfortable because you're about to do it, but it's not going to kill you or eat you, what does it look like to try
1: it? That's terrifying. Yeah. For those of you listening at home, Aaron just left uh, without saying goodbye to us in order to practice. Yeah, that's true. He left. He's gone. And tonight I'm going to ride a bull.
0: So, (laughs) Uh, Last question. Is this podcast going to work? Like Compatibility. Are we good here? Are
1: we... You know, is this going to be a
0: Fleetwood Mac situation? Can we? You you said <laughs> is this sustainable report, You
1: combined our two reports, and you say you usually just do it for couples. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if we were a couple, how would we score? Would you bet on us? Would you mm. officiate our wedding?
2: Uh, yeah. You know, you you guys are actually pretty well balanced. Oh, it's, pre- it's pretty good. Yeah, you guys. Are I'm really... the hot
1: one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the Everyone su- is a yin and a yang. I'm the successful one. Okay. Yeah. All right.
2: Yeah. The, exactly. Right. You guys. You guys yeah. are actually pretty well matched, man. And this is. This is, a, I'll, I'll leave you with a last piece of relational advice as somebody who's been married 16 years and with my wife 18 years. Um, one of the phrases I use is you can't coexist, you have to coalesce. And what I mean by that is, think of like coffee and milk, okay? They can coexist together side by side, but that doesn't mean that they're working together. Coalesce means that you pour the milk in the coffee and when it blends, you don't know where one starts and the other one ends. So they're complementary spaces. From a graphic design standpoint, complementary colors are on opposite sides of the color wheel for a reason but if they're side by side with each other all it does is highlights the contrast until you blend them you don't actually see them as complementary spaces so for example you guys blending the contrast that you have in your two spaces because Aaron's high and Andrew's lower your contrast in the seven space because Aaron's higher and Andrew's lower but then also your contrast in the five space and the four space because Aaron is lower than Andrew. So what that means is, for instance, in a two space, a way to blend it is to go, are we taking in consideration if, if people are gonna find this valuable in terms of how they feel? Not what we consider success, but what that person needs. What's that person's need? That's a two question. But, Aaron, I'm sorry, Andrew's gonna be leading with, but is it working? And you're gonna be leading, Aaron, you're gonna be leading with whether or not somebody's need is being met, right? Like, does that matter? The five space, the thing that's different, you're going to be more interested in going. And when I say you, I'm saying, uh, Andrew, it would be a lot more helpful if you guys didn't both have, I know, yeah. I know, <laughs> i <I'm> know. sorry. <doctor. laughs> this is the gymnastics. Uh, a you monitor. just do hot and not. Okay, cool. Yeah. The- <laughs> so one of the things that can be really helpful is like, Andrew is going to be really, really capable of going, okay, well, let's, let's dig in a bit more on the details around that. Like, let's make sure that we offer some clarity. We can't just have a lot of fun and then walk out without any clarity. Right. If you finish a conversation and it doesn't feel clear, like your question, it doesn't matter that a nine is high for both of us and an eight is low. Even in jest, when you're asking questions, you're saying, can you just add a little bit more clarity for us? Because I don't want people to get buried and not, not be in a space where it makes sense, right? That's going to be more important for you than it is for Aaron, right? Like the details are going to matter a little bit more. But then if you want to come in and bring somebody in that has a conversation that goes, hey, let's actually talk about some stuff that's really uncomfortable. Like not levity, not joking, like let's actually have a conversation about, you know, what's the title of the podcast again? No worries if not. No worries if not, right? So no worries if you don't know how to have a deep, meaningful, trauma-informed conversation about what actually hurts from your childhood. You bring in a trauma-informed therapist that does like internal family systems, you're probably going to be more inclined to introduce levity and jokes But he's gonna be more inclined to go, okay, I'm willing to go there, let's go a little deeper, let's go a little deeper. So knowing these highlight and these contrast spaces can really let you know where somebody's stamina is. Because here's a really safe way to understand everything when you go back and listen to this. Whatever is a high number for you, whether it's in the center box, which is called an intelligence center, it's the numbers, which are the types, or it's the instincts, right? So first, second, and third degree of function, like basic, like you're talking city, country, continent. Okay, whatever the high number is, you have a higher stamina for you can you can live there for longer. Mm -hmm. Right. Whatever the lower number is, you're not going to have as much stamina. You can't last as long. So if you're in these conversations and you see that one of you is high in that area and the other one is low. And one of these words that are connected to that number is the topic of conversation. Just having a snapshot of who's higher and who's lower is going to let you know who probably needs to drive. So if you have a conversation around heart, probably better for Aaron to drive. If you have a conversation, I'm sorry, for Andrew to drive. If you have a conversation around trusting your gut and trusting your instinct and and doing spontaneous comedy, right, improv, probably be better for you to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. But if you want to have a conversation about how do I storyboard and write something that allows me to really properly plan my jokes and try them and and trial them, it's probably going to be better for you, right? Both of you are going to be equally suited in terms of critical thinking, but if you're leading with the heart, I'd go with Andrew. If you're leading with the gut with.
1: Huge heart over here, huge gut over there. Okay. Pretty good. I think that's my big takeaway. Yeah, I'm glad probably, this happened. <laughs> great. 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 So, so Dr. That. Jerome, if people at home, this is like I'm just doing exactly what you predicted I would do. Uh if people at home want to get involved with the Enneagram or take some of these tests, what are the steps they can take to to take this test and then maybe listen again?
2: Yeah man, it's uh, there's a couple of different things. I, I would recommend the test that I, I lean into Um, is on the enneagraminstitute.com, and it's called the R-H-E-T-I. I I would strongly, 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 strongly recommend, and this is my disclaimer, like, very clearly. The test is a diagnostic. It's not a diagnosis, okay? (laughs) So if you take the test, you need to sit with somebody who can interpret that information, Yeah. okay? Everybody takes these tests and they self-identify, and all of a sudden, freaking Google did not go to med school. Stop <laughs> bringing me an article from Google about your cl- your clinical condition. Right. Okay, Buzzfeed so, tells me who I yeah. am. So yeah, so if you take it, Enneagram Institute is really reliable. Um, there's books called uh, "The Wisdom of the Enneagram" and um, there's lots of really good "The Wisdom, uh, The Enneagram of Discernment" by. Um, oh my gosh! Why did I just draw a blank?
1: They'll be, to, they'll be able to yeah, find it. Yeah, they'll be able
2: to find it. I just I just drew a blank. He's a good friend of mine. and <laughs> I just drew a blank. Um, it'll come to me as we're finishing. Um, but also, there's you, know, you can YouTube a lot of this stuff, and it's really, really good. Yeah. Um, one of the things, because I'm allergic to self-promotion, I'll also give mine, because it gets me out of my comfort zone, because I'm also low in eight. Uh, very healthy. Um, is an opportunity to model that. Um, is you can just go to drjerome.com, drjerome.com. Uh, I do a lot of uh, e-courses that are 10 to 12-minute videos on trying to understand this stuff. I talk a lot slower. We're sitting in a <laughs> we're sitting on a comfortable chair having a conversation with the camera. Um, also wrote a book on it called. Yes, the Brain-
1: sorry, sorry about the chair. For those of you listening, Dr. Drum is sitting on a beanbag.
2: <laughs> so I uh, also wrote a book called The Brain Based Enneagram. Uh, there's also a podcast that my older brother and I did called Thrive Neurotheology, where we go through each individual type for about an hour and a half to two hours. You can't hit pause. Don't marathon it. Uh, but we talk about the science, the spirituality, the Enneagram, and also practical applications of each number. So Thrive Neurotheology podcast, drjerome.com, uh, and there's a, all, all that stuff can also be found on my website.
0: And even if someone wants to come by and get tickled?
2: Yeah, so if you're coming for clinical stuff, you can go there too. Okay. Um, but my amazing executive assistant, Janet, um, will check in with you if you need anything from a clinical standpoint. All that information
0: in terms of who, are, who I serve is on the website too. Dr. Jerome, cool. That's it, bro. All right, well, thanks a ton, Dr. Jerome, uh, functional neurologist, uh, tickler, uh, uh, chiropractor, mm-hmm. and so
1: many other things.
0: But more importantly, a friend. Thank
1: you He's for. our friend. Thank no. you for being our first he ever He knows guest. us more than anyone has ever known us. There is so much to unpack here. I'm going to
0: listen several times. This is such a great and also just meaty episode
1: for the first episode. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for listening.
0: All right, see you next time. Cheers.